T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Horns fall 37-34 in overtime in Lubbock and another conference loss for Steve Sarkeesian, who's now 7-9 and uh, as head coach at the University of Texas, 3-7 and in conference. We'll get into the game itself. There's plenty to discuss there, uh, but I just want to jump right into Steve Sarkeesian uh, as a head coach and his status as a head coach. And I'm not going to sit here and say what Steve Sarkeesian is or make an absolute statement about how good of a coach he can be. There are some things to be encouraged uh, by when it comes to Steve Sarkeesian. I think Steve Sarkeesian appears to be uh, a very good offensive-minded coach. Uh, He appears to be uh, able and capable of being the face of a college football program. My whole thing is this. If we're to evaluate Steve Sarkeesian right now, the record is 7-9. The conference record is 3-7. If I were to ask you or anyone else, what does he do well what would your answer be? Because there's only one thing that everyone can agree on. One thing that he does well, one thing that Steve Sarkeesian does well uh, is he was able to recruit at a high level after the season that he had last year, and he was able to bring in some talent to the University of Texas, which is great. Obviously, you need talent to win. But with the current state of NIL and the resources you have in Austin, Texas, anyone could do that. You could do that. I could do that. Anyone could do that. I could go find someone at at Target. I could go find someone at HEB, and they would be able to recruit at a high level at the University of Texas. The one thing that's not going to happen with Texas football, and this is unfortunate for a lot of people, and I know this rubs a lot of people the wrong way, but it's just the reality of the situation, and it holds true with Texas A&M too. You're not going to have a situation like the end of the Mac Brown era or to a certain point, at times in the Tom Herman era where recruiting classes aren't top-notch. With the NIL money, with the resources at the University of Texas, there's always going to be talent on campus. It's impossible for it not to happen. It's impossible. Nobody else is going to be able to overnight produce those, those resources, that prestige, an atmosphere like Austin. It's not like the old days where – oh, well, I can go here and I'm not going to get NIL money anyways and I can go to a better program and maybe I can develop better as a player. It's never going to happen. It's not. It's impossible at Texas and Texas A&M. So if your main praise right now is that, and that's something that we can all agree to, and it does look impressive, but if your main praise is that, that's nothing to hang your hat on. Because the next guy will do that. And the guy after that will do that. As, as long as the rules are this way, that's always going to happen. 
So if Steve Sarkeesian wants to wants to win over myself and wants to win over other people, and furthermore wants to remain the coach of the University of Texas, he's going to have to change a lot of things. Uh, the great Rod Babers, friend of uh, friend of the show uh, and friend of the podcast, uh, the first form of it, and uh, now it's back. I'm going to try to get him on again. Uh, he put out this tweet: Texas is seven nine seven and nine under Steve Sarkeesian. They held a halftime lead in five of those nine losses. They held a fourth quarter lead in five of those nine losses. They had a double digit lead in four of those nine losses. They're winning the battle of game plan and preparation, but losing the battle of adjustments. I think that's a perfect way of saying it. Uh, against Alabama, uh, you saw the way they came out. The game plan was perfect. Uh, as the game went on, it got a little bit flat. I did not like that on third and three, uh, with the game on the line before the field goal, he decided to trust Hudson Card, an injured Hudson Card, uh, instead of trusting his best player, Bijan Robinson, and maybe a Wildcat with Roshan, which I know didn't work in Lubbock. Probably need to add a wrinkle there. He did it again in Lubbock. Uh, Jordan Whittington, the play that... You know, many feel uh, was a bad call by the refs or at least a, a bad decision not to review it. Uh, third and three, he once again traded, uh, trusted Hudson Card instead of Bijan Robinson on third and three. So he's done that twice. The adjustments have to improve with Steve Sarkeesian, and I think they can. And if you're a glass half full guy, You'll look at that loss in Lubbock and you'll say to yourself, well, he's he's using a backup quarterback. They had some some banged up guys. Uh, Worthy wasn't out there. And, you know, Lubbock's a tough place to play. It is. But Texas Tech was using a backup quarterback as well. Uh, and he was able to convert six of eight fourth downs uh, for Texas Tech. You should have won that game. I don't know if B. John Robinson needs more touches. Uh, I don't know if it, there needs to be a little bit more creativity, but you should have won that game. And really the opportunity to win that game came in the third uh, when Texas stopped Texas Tech on four downs and had a chance to, to make it a, a three-score game. You missed that opportunity. Uh, you ran the Wildcat. And I don't even know if these are zone reads with Roshan Johnson and, and Bijan because I, I find that play to be unstoppable. But if you're just faking the handoff and then Roshan's running, then that that's that's not going to work for Steve Sarkeesian. But he needs he needs to make adjustments. He needs to figure it out. I'm not out on him. I'm so optimistic. Uh, but he damn sure has to win at West Virginia, and he damn sure has to make better adjustments. And he damn sure can't hang his hat on oh I recruit at a high level and I bring in talent and I'm able to uh, keep the talent high at Texas because that's never going down. Never going down. Much to the dismay of the programs uh, with inferior resources. I know that's frustrating, but the talent level at Texas with how things are right now, it's never going down. And if you can't coach them up, if you can't make adjustments, uh, they're going to keep trying, and there's not going to be like some sort of talent fall-off where the coach has to worry about that. Uh, it's going to be a Lincoln-Riley type of thing where you already have elite talent, and then there's going to be talent that follows that coach, uh, especially to Austin. So you got to figure that out, and Steve Sarkeesian uh, has to get that done. As far as the game itself, I thought Joey McGuire established an identity early on, the head coach at Texas Tech. And shout out to Coach McGuire. Shout out to all the people out there, all my people out there at Texas Tech, uh, School of MassCom, all those people. They established an identity. Their, their identity was basically, we don't give a damn. We're going to go for it no matter what. Uh, fourth down, 
we're going for it. And that's what we're going to do. And, and it seemed like the team kind of rallied behind that. Texas, early on, it seemed like it was going to be one of those games where the backs were going to take over. Uh, you saw Robinson score the touchdown on the 35-yard pass from Card. Uh, there was a lot of movement. Felt like it might just be a lot of physicality in Texas be able to uh, to take over, but you had another drop by Worthy. You had Worthy hobbled, and Texas just really didn't have an identity, especially in the second half. They were just kind of lost. Uh, there were defensive lapses. I don't know if they think that the – I don't know how they're practicing this, but in practice, I think they might need to at least emphasize with the DBs that when someone jumps off sides, you still have to play. Like, you don't just stop. Because it, it felt like a couple of times uh, they just stopped. Uh, but they were unable to take advantage, and Texas Tech established an identity. Tough place to play. They wanted to win the game, and uh, Texas lost. Uh, as far as the B. John Robinson fumble goes uh, in the fourth quarter, I'm, I'm not even going to really hold that against him because it shouldn't have come to that. Uh, Texas Tech, uh, once they kicked that field goal at the end of regulation, that should have been ball game. Uh, that was just a that was just a brain fart by them, and it shouldn't have even come to that point because on the drive uh, before Tech's final drive, uh, th- there should have been a run up the middle on third down, and then maybe a go for it on fourth uh, type of situation. Or there probably should have been a review. Uh, don't get me started on the refs. The refs were really, really bad. And that's the other thing about being a Texas fan. Uh, it is the 41 Acres podcast. Subscribe on the Odyssey app. The other thing about being a Texas fan is in Alabama, man, they experienced this, and we kind of experienced it at our uh, at our expense earlier this year. But like the schools like Texas and the schools like Alabama – they used to get all the calls. Like, remember that that win against Kansas when Tony Jeffrey made the catch, uh, 2004. Like, <laughs> you knew that you kind of cheated. Like, you you knew that you kind of cheated, but you really didn't care. And then you had Fat Man Gino go up there and say, "You know what, BCS," or whatever he said. But they used to get the calls. The University of Texas. I, I do a do a show with an Aggie, uh, the OG John Lopez, and he always bitches about the phantom pass interference when Case McCoy was quarterback. Um, but you, you, you used to get the calls to a certain point. It seems like it's almost become the opposite uh, with the Longhorns. They got screwed against Alabama at an elite level, like something I'd never seen. And it did seem like all the whistles were going Texas Tech's way uh, on Saturday at Jones. I miss the days of getting all the calls. Uh, I, I used to I, I used to know that it was going on, but kind of keep it to myself and maybe push back when someone would say it. Uh, but Texas just doesn't get the calls anymore. And I definitely uh, find myself missing those days. Did Bijan get enough carries uh, in the game? 16 carries. Some people say that's not enough. I'll be honest. It would be kind of hindsight for me to look back and say, and, I, and that's how I, it, the more that you listen to me, if you listen to my show 10 to 2, I'm going to have a lot of takes, but it's always going to be based on like my initial reaction. Like, should a coach have done this or should he have done that? I'll give my initial thought, usually on Twitter, uh, at Landry Locker on Twitter, uh, and then I'll evaluate things uh, based on that uh, and how stuff went down. I didn't watch that game and feel like Bijan needed more carries. Now, maybe that's silly, and maybe Bijan does need you know twenty carries a game or whatever. But I didn't. I didn't specifically watch that ball game and say, "Man, they're not giving it to Bijan enough." 
Now, on third and three, Bijan or Roshan, there would be a zone read, and we would do it every time. And, and I would I would put the ball in my best if, – if it's a manageable third and short in some way, shape, or form, I'm getting the ball in my best player's hands and one of the best players in the country in Bijan Robinson. Um, Sark has not done that twice now. And hopefully that changes. But I didn't. It would be unfair of me to say that I felt like Sark didn't give Bijan the ball enough because I didn't feel that way in the moment. Now in hindsight, maybe, but I did not uh, feel that way. As far as the Wildcat goes, I was asking for more Wildcat last week. I they need to get a little bit more creative out of this formation. And there's so many possibilities. And Sarkeesian is so damn creative when it comes to pre-snap movement, movement out of the backfield, the diamond set, uh, throwing it to the backs out of the backfield, all the, all the misdirection and stuff. Like Sark is so creative that on the Wildcat, there are so many things that he could do that I think he needs to he needs to figure out because it seemed like in this game specifically on the uh, the turnover on downs the fourth down uh, where Roshan faked the handoff either that was a misread or it wasn't a read at all. But I think I, I think that Sark can can figure this one out. The the Wildcat, there are so many, especially when you factor in that Roshan uh, can throw the ball as well, and he's got the quarterback background. The Wildcat needs to be used more, uh, and 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 it needs to it needs to be something where there's a lot of wrinkles. I I predict that between now and OU, we see a throw out of the Wildcat from Roshan. As a matter of fact, I would bet really good money on it that we see that, but we need to see some misdirection. We need to see some reverses. We need to see uh, more. T- most of the time it needs to be a read where Roshan's reading the defense because I just don't know how you stop that when you have two backs that average six yards per carry uh, and the quarterback using his instincts. I mean, we saw Vince. They knew the zone read was coming, but Vince puts it on the chest. He either tucks it and he runs. Uh, that, along with the other wrinkles, uh, I do want to see more Wildcat. I, I just hope that it's there's a little bit more creativity. And if, if it was a misread, uh, then hopefully Roshan uh, reads it better uh, moving forward. Uh, West Virginia this week. It is the 41 Acres Podcast. Landry Locker, you can hear me Monday through Friday in the Loop Sports Radio 610. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, too. Uh, the Locker Room featuring Landry Locker. We've been doing it for a few weeks. Already got some uh, subscribers, a lot of interaction. So uh, follow the uh, the YouTube and uh, listen to me on Sports Radio 610. Uh, West Virginia coming to town. This this should be this should be a game where you where, where you get right and then you get ready for the Red River uh, shootout next week. I'm always going to call it the shootout. I don't. I don't <laughs> it's it's not going to be the showdown to me. It's Red River shootout. Uh, and and that that game holds a special place in my heart. Been to probably 20, 25 of those uh, with my father. Uh, and and that I can't wait to talk about that next week because that game it means so damn much to me, uh, and and I'll just talk about some of my best memories and look ahead uh, to the game. Which by the way, Oklahoma uh, they got TCU this week. They they could very well uh, be riding a two game losing streak depending on what TCU get, uh, team shows up coming off that win against SMU. The my favorite memory of the West Virginia game uh, isn't even really a good one. It's more so just kind of a laughable one. And at the time, I was actually really, really, really pissed off about it. Uh, but it was in 2018. We all remember that one, the, real, the Will Greer game, uh, when West Virginia went for two. Uh, they ended up winning 41 to, uh, or 40, 43 to 42, I believe, was the score. 
And after the game, in his typical, just for lack of a better term, bitch fashion, uh, Tom Herman went up to the podium and he talked about how there should have been a penalty when Will Greer did the horns down and that they should have negated the touchdown or the two-point conversion, whichever one it was. That was the point where I really just said, man, Tom Herman, between Pizzagate against uh, Maryland the second time around, and that that was one of the most disgraceful displays that I have ever seen from a head coach at the University of Texas. If, if you don't remember it, here was Tom Herman making a, a complete whiny full of himself you know i also thought that taunting before you cross the goal line meant that it negated a score too so uh, i've got to get some i got to brush up on my rules and and get some questions answered man that guy was a turd god i was so wrong about tom herman i think most of us uh were but that that was awful the horns down is is something that i i actually enjoy seeing uh and tom herman calling for that penalty that was terrible i don't know too many people that were uh co-signing that but we'll see what happens uh here i think it's going to be a get right game uh texas tech game yeah disappointing uh the jury's still out on sark but i'm not going to panic i'm just not going to sit here and praise a guy for doing something that anyone could do i wanted to touch on this before we get out of here on on the 41 acres i wanted to touch on Bijan robinson and where he ranks among running backs at the University of Texas post Ricky Williams. So Ricky Williams from when he got on campus to after that, where does B. John Robinson rank? And I'm talking about at the University of Texas. So let's not throw Priest Holmes out there uh, who only had 252 career carries uh, and, and was kind of the Ricky's backup and Sean Mitchell's backup back in the day. Where does Ricky Williams, post-Ricky Williams, where does B. John Robinson rank? Because there's really only three names that you can bring to the table. And, and a lot of you probably are wondering, three, uh, I think there's, I, I thought there was only two. I, I'm, I'm going to bring three names that, that, are, that are even be, remotely belong in the discussion. And I just want to cuss and discuss where you would put B. John on this list. Uh, the three names are Cedric Benson. Jamal Charles and Deontay Foreman. And I'll explain why Deontay Foreman is here later. It's 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 a one it's a one year wonder, but it was a hell of a year. Uh Cedric Benson is a popular choice, and he's one of the names that comes up. Cedric Benson uh had five thousand five hundred and forty career yards. Uh his his carries were two twenty three, three oh five, two fifty eight. In 326, and he averaged five yards per carry. He had 63 rushing touchdowns. Cedric Benson is your workhorse back. I don't. I don't think anyone can dispute how good Cedric Benson was. Cedric Benson was. He he was one of the prize recruits. Him with Derek Johnson, and he's your workhorse back. But was he better than Jamal Charles? If you were ranking just just being awesome, not not the pedigree, but if you were just ranking. Being awesome at the University of Texas, Jamal Charles 
really had one year where he was trusted to carry the whole load. He had a lot of backs in his in, in his way, even his freshman year uh, when they had Selvin Young, they had Ramonts Taylor, and they had Henry Melton uh, taking carries at the goal line. He only had 119 yards his freshman year, but I think anyone who followed the team believed that Jamal was the was the best back on the squad. His sophomore year. He had Selvin Young taking some of his carries. Jamal only had 156 carries to Selvin Young's 137. And then his junior year, that's when they just completely unleashed the beast, and he had 258 carries. And the best performance uh, from J.C., I think back to that Nebraska game when he had 33 for 290. Uh, and over over a, a three-week stretch uh, in the Nebraska game, he had 290. Then he had 180 against OSU. And 174 against Texas Tech, uh, averaged six yards per carry, 6.2 yards per carry uh, for his career, which is actually 0.2 less than Bijan. Uh, Jamal Charles, to me, I think he was better than Cedric Benson. Might be controversial, but I, I think Jamal was better. And I think if Jamal had been able to carry the load for three years, I think we would see that. Uh, but Cedric never really had anyone in his way taking carries. There were times where maybe we wanted more Selvin Young, but we didn't really get it. And the crazy thing is that for the uh, two years of his career, Cedric Benson had Vince Young in the backfield with him, who is sixth on the all-time rushing list. So he had the threat of Vince Young. Uh, Jamal had Colts. A couple of years, and he had Vince for one. But when he was with Vince, they weren't really using him as much. They trusted Selvin Young to do all the, all the little things, and, and they trusted Ramonts at times. So we weren't really getting a full dose of Jamal Charles. But if you ask me who was better between those two, Jamal Charles was better than Cedric Benson, uh, in my opinion. And, and you just look at that, that final year uh, where he had – 1619 yards uh, in that performance against Nebraska and they were feeding him the rock uh, I would put Jamal Charles uh, above Cedric Benson Deontay Foreman is is kind of a, a one-year guy because Deontay Foreman was one of those guys who only got 14 carries then 94 and then he just erupted for 323 his 2016 season in which he averaged 6.3 yards per carry and had 2,028 yards and 15 touchdowns is is one of the best years in the history of the school. And it does make you wonder because Deontay was behind Malcolm Brown and Jonathan Gray, and then he was behind Jonathan Gray uh, his sophomore year. You do wonder if Deontay Foreman, if they would have used him more, if his name being in this discussion wouldn't be as polarizing and as much of an eye roll. But for that one year, Deontay Foreman in 2016 – I would I would say that is uh, he's not in the same league as Cedric Benson and I've actually talked to Deontay and and he he wouldn't even say that he wouldn't shape his lips to say that but that one year I think it was more impressed I was at least more impressed impressed with that because of the lack of talent he had around him and the fact that there wasn't really like as many threats uh, to the defense as there was with Cedric Benson uh, with Vince and and all the skill position guys uh, that we know and love so much Uh, I think that one year with Deontay Foreman was actually better than any year that Cedric Benson had and and I would put it side by side with Jamal's final year so as far as like the two most impressive years post Ricky I would say Deontay in 2016 and then Jamal Charles uh, final season in 2006. Uh, those are the two most impressive years that I've seen from a back. But I would still have to put Jamal over 
Deontay, and I would also put Cedric, and I would push Deontay uh, back on the list. Uh, then we get to Bijan Robinson. And this one's interesting because if Deontay Foreman was underused his first two years, the way Tom Herman used Bijan Robinson his freshman year, it was criminal. It was absolutely criminal. 86 carries, not nearly enough uh, for him. And then you had last year where he finally starts getting the rock. And I don't think he's he's truly maximized in the pass game. Uh, I don't think Jamal was, was maximized in the pass game as much as he probably could have. Maybe because you didn't need to. But I, I think Bijan Robinson, if there's any criticism you want to give Sark, it's that I don't think Bijan is used as much in the receiving game as he should. And he's used. It's just not as much. Bijan and Jamal Charles, I think, is a good discussion. And after this year, we'll have a full two years of Bijan being the guy, although, although he did get nicked up last year. And I think that's where the discussion's going to go. Bijan or Jamal Charles. No disrespect to Cedric Benson. He just had Vince for a couple of years, uh, and he, was, he didn't have anyone in his way. He didn't have anyone in his way, and he had enough talent around him to where teams weren't just stacking the box. Now, they were to stop Vince, but he also had the threat of Vince. So my opinion... At Landry Locker on Twitter, I think the two best backs since Ricky Williams are Jamal Charles and Bijan. I would put JC number one, and to be determined on Bijan, we're going to have to see how he finishes this season uh, starting this week uh, against West Virginia. The back, the whole back history of, of Texas is kind of interesting when you look at post-Ricky because if we were factoring in NFL career, and I know Ricky had some some really, really good uh, years in the NFL, despite the fact that, you know, a lot of people remember him for, you know, the marijuana. Priest Holmes had a better NFL career than Ricky. And he only had 252 carries at UT. Now, he did have a few touchdowns in that Big 12 championship game. And one of my fondest memories uh, as a kid against Nebraska. Uh, But Priest only had 252 carries and still made it to the NFL. Uh, Texas has actually had a couple of guys who've had, like, limited carries at college that ended up in the NFL. Chris Obanaya only had 142 carries. Had a nice little NFL career. And then uh, Fozzie had 263. uh, And he found his way. Uh, into the NFL. So that's uh, my list of guys uh, that are even in the discussion. I don't even know if many people would put Deontay in the discussion, but that one year, uh, I would put that one year, uh, 2016 with Deontay, I would put that uh, toe-to-toe with any year that Cedric Benson had, especially when you take in all the factors. Uh, But J.C., to me, uh, is the best. And and the crazy thing is J.C. was was underused. If if J.C. had been the full workload back uh, in 04 and 05, I mean, I don't even even know that this is a discussion. Hell, we could be pushing him up there uh, to where it's him, Ricky Earl, that we're talking about. Cause I, I think JC was criminally underused. I think Deontay was underused. I think Bijan was underused his freshman year. And I don't think Cedric Benson was, I think Cedric Benson uh, did what he did. And he's still one of the best of all time. Uh, rest in peace to him. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. It's going to be the red river shootouts. I ain't going to call it the showdown. Um, I'll probably get some guests on here. I'm very glad that the 41 acres is back. Look forward to talking to you. Look forward to watching this game. Follow me on YouTube, instant reaction. Uh, after the game uh, and listen to me on Sports Radio 610. 41 Acres is back. Couldn't be happier. Hook them. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.